testing, testing. Hopefully another motorcycle will drive by as soon as I start talking. Hmm. gosh, it's 2021. It is a whole new year. It's a whole new season. Welcome to Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis. I am Eve Sturgis. <laughs> That's me. I'm the host. This is my podcast. Uh, so how's everyone been doing? New year, new president, new life, new COVID-19 variants, new vaccines. Are you wearing new masks? What's been going on? I have new episodes. I am really proud of what we have lined up here for y'all this time around. I think I'm finally getting the hang of this, guys. (laughs) Maybe one day I can get through an entire episode, or here's a wild idea, an entire season without anxiety gripping my every minute (laughs) um, about all the variables that it takes. But maybe not. Maybe having anxiety during this podcast is who I am. Who are you? Have you wondered about who you are, from where you're from, from which land your ancestors traveled to get you where you are today? Did you think doing a recreational DNA test would be fun, and now you don't know who you are at all? Your whole life was a lie. Your dad is not your dad. You were adopted, so your mom is also not your mom. You are rapidly learning about things you've never thought about, like donor conception and traditions around adoption, and infidelity, and sperm. Maybe there's a dark side to your story, and now you have nightmares. Can you get the answers from your parents? Maybe you can't. If any of that is true to you, then you are in the right place. Here at Everything's Relative, we are exploring major DNA discoveries, and the way our identities are shaken to our very core when we discover that we aren't who we thought we were. The recreational uh, mail-in DNA kit is the most common vehicle for this experience, but it's not the only way. So I don't want to suggest that my podcast is limited to that method of surprise. Um, In fact, I did not find out through a mail-in DNA kit. I found out through a phone call. After the phone call, we did a DNA kit. Um, Do any of this, does this matter? Does the order of things matter? I don't know. I think to some people it does. But we're all here to tell stories, offer support, and make sure that nobody feels that they are alone. So that's what matters to me, and that's what I'm trying to focus on. Today, my guest, Corey Goodrich, is amazing because she can sing, and she can tell a wonderful story, she can write, and she's an NPE. She put it all together, and I feel so lucky that I got the chance to sit down and talk with her about it a few weeks ago. Um, We had a really great time. I'm just going to go ahead and roll the tape. It's the perfect episode to start off season three. I hope you're as excited as I am for all the stories that are becoming a part of this phenomenon. And I'll see you on the other side. So... um, Let's, okay, so I don't even know where to start, but so where do you usually start when people ask you what, you know, what's your story or when you're, you know, what's your like cocktail party version? I I have many versions. I have the long Mm -hmm. version and I can Mm -hmm. have the encapsulated. Would you like a medium version maybe? Yeah, do you have a medium version? I'll see if I can. Um, Mm -hmm. 
So everything is in the book. Not everything, but a right. lot of things okay. are in the book. But um, my story is, so I was born in Wilmington, Delaware, many, many years ago in the late 60s. And, um, you know, that was kind of the era of swingers and, and, and stuff. I know this now. But right. um, but I, my parents, my mother's Ernie and my father was Tom. And uh, they were divorced when I was seven. And then we moved to Michigan. She married my stepfather, Jim. You really need a chart with all of this. I'm right. I'm making a chart. How can you speak? <laughs> so she married Jim. We moved to Michigan. Um, my mother, my stepfather, and I, we sort of had a contentious relationship. Um, I have three siblings who are considerably older than me, 12, 11, and seven years older. Um, and I could never really get an answer as to why my mom and dad divorced. Um and so over the years when I was in college, we would fight a lot because I was kind of unhappy in Michigan and didn't really understand why we had, you know, why she had left Delaware and my dad and our my home, her home. That's where she was born and raised. Were you in touch with Tom this during this time? Mm-hmm. Yep. Your, your so I went home every summer mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I spent I spent the summer with him. But he was also okay. 56 when I was born. So mm-hmm. It was a diff- older. Yeah, he was older and it was a different time too, where mm-hmm. fathers weren't quite as involved in their lives as they are now. So um, I loved my dad. He, he was a wonderful man, but he wouldn't, he never said a bad word about my mother. Just nobody talked about anything. And as is so common with us NPEs, we all have this sense, or most of us have a sense of being different or something being off, but not really understanding what it is. Um, I found a picture when I was about maybe 15 or 16. I was with my mom. Um, and I found this picture of a man holding me as a baby. I was nine and nine and a half months old. And I asked her who that was at the time. And she said, oh, that's an old friend. Uh, your father was really jealous of him. I will never forgive Tom for what he did to him. What did he do? Oh, geez, and, mom. Why don't you drop a <laughs> drama bomb? And that's my mom. And, uh, and then she said, well, so um, she said, well, your father was jealous of him and he had him transferred down south and he had a heart attack and he died. Oh, geez. You know, I, I don't know. I'm 15, 16 mm-hmm. at this point. I'm like, okay, that's wow. You know, never, never talked about it since. Over the years, I kept looking for that picture again, but I could never right. find it. I had all these clues and all these things, but I could never, I remember being in a hotel room with my mom when I was maybe two or three. I remember the carpet. I remember the doors, you know, the doors in between hotel rooms, which I thought was so cool. I'm so still cool. fascinated. They were so cool. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, I was so fascinated. That was one of the first things I would do was go check that out. Yeah. Right. Make sure they're locked. And mm-hmm. so I remember that. Um, I would ask my sister if she knew why my parents got divorced. And she said, oh, I don't know. I was in college. I don't remember anything. And so nobody would talk about it. I look a little bit different. I'm shorter than everybody. I'm darker than everybody. Um, you know, so we would joke. I would joke about being the milkman's kid and they everybody laughs and everything. And so fast forward, I, I eventually after I have children, I decide I do not want to have a contentious relationship with my mother anymore. I want to get along. I want her to know her grandchildren. And so we stopped fighting. We just sort of let everything slide. Um, And then in 2017, she told me that she had to have open heart surgery. So I went to Arizona to be with her the week before her surgery. And um, and she was so frail by this point. I did not want to upset her at all. I kind of was asking her questions about her life. And I always got non-answers. You know, she really wouldn't talk very much about it. She was very elusive and mysterious. She had... (laughs) She had um, on her birth certificate, she has one middle name and on her driver's license, she has another middle name and she never would tell us a story. It's like little things like that. 
why? How did it go from Emma to Eileen? You know, just, uh, she just wouldn't tell us. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, after she had the surgery, she, and she uh, before she had the surgery, though, we went out to get um, a robe for her. And I thought, I've got to do this. I've got to ask her one more time because I don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Mama, why did you and dad get divorced? And she said, well, I had an affair. You knew that. Oh. I said, no, I sort of didn't know that. You know, I kind of knew, but um, mm-hmm. she said, yeah, his wife came to the house and uh, she was very d- well-dressed and um, very poised. And she asked me not to take her husband. And um, I was very impressed with her. And I said, well, what did you do? Did you leave him alone? She said, yes. And then the conversation ended. And at this point, she's so sick at this point. I'm like, I'm not going to not gonna deal with it, you know. And she wouldn't tell me anyway. You know, I knew if I pushed, she would get angry. Mm-hmm. So I let how it go. You, how, what was going through your mind during that time? When, when um, she's telling you this little, like this truncated version of. I'm thinking, I'm clocking all these things, but I did not put it together. Like uh-huh. hindsight right now. Right, of course. It, if I could say, why didn't I push? All I had to do was just talk a little bit more. But I didn't. Whether I was afraid um, that I knew the truth or or that I just pushed it aside, I'm not really sure. Um, but and I w- and again was scared to upset her. So um, so she has her surgery. She eventually passes away from the from the surgery. And uh, the day after she died on October 13th, Friday, October 13th, which I find hilarious. So you never, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, did she ever, so did she, she went into the surgery and passed away? Yes. Mm-hmm. It okay. took about a week after the surgery. Um, right. But it so, just didn't go, okay. Didn't go right. well. Okay. She was 89. I mean, honestly, we didn't expect her really to make through it. It would have been really hard, but. Long shot. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so Friday the 13th. It's Friday October. Friday the 13th. <laughs> there are black cats everywhere. Exactly. Witches, you know. Autumn leaves are tumbling down the street. It's Arizona, so there are no autumn leaves. But <laughs> tumbleweeds, maybe. Okay, okay. Um, Tumbleweeds like that. So I'm going through her things because I want to find this picture. I say that I want to find stuff for her memorial, um, her, her uh, celebration of life, but I secretly want to find this picture, you know. So we're going through the things. And she has categorized everything. There is a, an envelope of her performing years when she was in an Andrew Sisters type group. Never seen these pictures or reviews or articles. There was a whole photo album of her first marriage. Had never seen any of these. A whole photo album of, you know, my dad and and those kids. So all, you know, uh, all categorized. Every letter, Jim told me, my stepfather, that uh, she had shredded all the letters from Tom and from him, from Jim too. But in one envelope, there was uh, there were two, three letters and two pictures, and one of those pictures was the man holding me, and mm-hmm. there was a second shot of that. So I, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get back to these. I'm going to read these letters. What are these two letters she's kept here? And uh, they're from my father Tom to her shortly before he died in 1990, and they're both letters that state how wonderful I was and how proud he was. And I know that she has kept these two specific letters so that I will know that Tom loved me because that's that's why they're there. There's only two of them. There was a third, there was a third letter that I did not know that my brother took, you know, that he hid away. But I looked at this picture and I said to, to Dale and Susie, who is this guy? Did I tell you the story about what mama said in the car about the affair? And, and you know about this, you guys are all older. Is this the guy? And my poor brother just turns white and he says, yeah, how much do you want to know? I'm like, oh no, oh no. Oh, there's like, more. Everything. 
And he said, well, um, you know, we used to be called Daddy Don. And I knew instantly everything that I had not filled in in the past just kind of went into telescoping focus. And, um, uh, and I knew. And I said, is he my real father? And he said, yeah, we think so. So I'm reeling. I'm absolutely reeling because all the pieces have sort of come together at this moment. But I'm at this point, I will say my age. At the time, I was 51 years old. This is a long time to go without knowing who your real father is. And it's a long time for siblings to be discussing it. And to know. themselves. The short story after that is that everybody knew, everyone didn't know what to say. It's not their fault. Of course right. it's not. But um, my mother didn't know what to say. My stepfather didn't know what to say. Um, I ended up finding my biological father. I found his obituary. He had died mm-hmm. not when my mother said way back then, you know, um, but he was transferred down Didn't south. I have a broken heart from Tom. No. <laughs> Vengeance no. transferring him. <laughs> but but he died in 2016. So he died the oh. year before my mother. So I would have had a chance to meet mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. The third letter that, um, which I won't talk about what's in it, but it was a letter to my mother uh, that was written when I was about 10 years old, basically mm-hmm. admitting that I was his child and that, you know, how much he loved her. And um, so I knew that this man was actually my father. Um And uh, he had died recently, and um, I just spiraled for three years trying to put the pieces together, thinking, am I Goodrich or am I Garnett? You know, what part of my my DNA is different from my family? Oh, my gosh, I don't have full siblings anymore. I have half-siblings. Everybody's a half-sibling. I ended up finding um, a brother who is 10 years younger than me, who was – uh, Don's from a second marriage, and I reached out to him, and he we took a DNA, DNA test and confirmed that we are indeed siblings. So I am indeed Don's child, and yeah, and this man, this this brother of mine, is my best friend now. So oh. this unbelievable gift that came out of it. Um, I have also, after three years of turmoil, and to be honest was very worried about my mental health there. I had a lot of suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a lot of people saying your father still was still your father and, and therapists who didn't really acknowledge the true trauma that comes with this discovery and says, Oh, everybody did this to protect you, you know, and, and then that makes you feel more ashamed for struggling with it. Right. So after three years of this, I can finally say, um, and this is through art therapy and through writing my memoir, through writing folk song, and um, and my brother. I've traveled to Thailand and uh, Bali and Italy and Spain with him, and have forged this beautiful, loving relationship with this with my brother. I can finally say that I am the person I was always meant to be. And while it was difficult to go through the struggle, for sure, and I kind of wish I could take it back, I wouldn't be who I am today. And I am so profoundly grateful for that. The process of writing the book um, forced me to put myself in my mother's shoes. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm an actress, so I'm kind of used to doing that anyway. And I sort of can go into a character and find their motivations and what drives them. and um, And so... It was actually an incredible asset through this to be able to say, okay, what was the timeline? What what was it like in the 60s? What were family saying about my mother and her relationship with this man? And and it wasn't just a, a fling. It was a longstanding relationship. And I was conceived intentionally. So what did that do to my father? What was going on there? You know, like, like there's so much blame for the mothers in these situations. And I understand totally. There's, there are a lot of people who have very narcissistic mothers, and it's very hurtful and very painful. Mm-hmm. But there's also another side to it, too. There's 
if I put myself in my mother's shoes, I don't know that I would have done anything differently, at least in that time. So I gained through writing the book, I gained a tremendous amount of empathy and sympathy for her and for my father and my family. So Mm -hmm. um, in the end, I'm grateful, believe it or not. (laughs) Yeah, that's quite the journey. Yeah. Go to go from to go from yeah sh- shock shock and shock and crisis and depression to mm-hmm. all the way to gratefulness. That's really cool. That's really lovely. Yeah. Go ahead. I would I would love it if there was more um, study on mm-hmm. therapy for NPEs because I think we are sort of underrepresented because people don't know. I mean, I have had friends who then have read the book and said, oh my gosh, I had no idea. I shouldn't have said this to you. I'm like, mm-hmm. how would you know? You, you, It's not your fault. Unless you're in our shoes, you have no idea what this feels like or how to react. And yes. the things that people say are very, you know, very understandable, but then become really hurtful to us NPEs. But I don't blame them, you know. Yeah, it's like this collision of modern technology that brings us the the trauma itself or the mm-hmm. crisis itself or, or the existential experience. But then it's like these old school ideas colliding of this whole like, well, your dad is your dad and whoever loves mm-hmm. you loves you. And um, they were just everybody was just doing their best and mm-hmm. all those things. Um, it, if, even people that that I would think would never say that say that kind of thing. You right. would think, that you, but you, I think we don't even know how conditioned we are. Right, we'll have certain understandings of things, um, and this like m- incredibly modern phenomenon is really, um, really like shaking that up in a in a way that that we no nobody could have seen coming. Right, and all those things are true. My dad is still my dad. I am grateful to the family that took me in. But that can exist alongside with the pain of not knowing who my biological father is and wondering if he's my father. Those things exist concurrently. And, you know, and I am Goodrich and Garnett, Mm -hmm. you know, and happy Mm -hmm. to take both names. I mean, not literally take the names, but. (laughs) (laughs) Some people do that. that. You have not done that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think. I think that like in- integration of of more than one thing is is a concept we need to work on all around. Um, mm-hmm. Of this, you can hold you can hold a lot of things. You can hold both. Right. So you can hold stories, dark and light, and um, right, right. Good and and we need we need both. We need mm-hmm. both to balance. Mm-hmm. You know? I tell my husband, I can be mad as hell at you and still love you, but right. Mad yeah. Well, it's not even, in, and not only do we need them, but we have them. It, it is mm-hmm. a fact. So it's like so acknowledging them and, and learning how to. To manage that balance, um, I think would be good for everyone, mm-hmm. regardless of the situation. But it really um, becomes real stark in in the MPE community when you when you first get thrust into it, right? Uh, right. Depending on, yeah. And we need resources. There so many resources. Yeah. I like to say that there's room in the playground for all of us and for all the stories, because the more we hear and the more we talk about it and the more that other people hear about it and talk about it, the more empathy and understanding we can all have. And so sharing, I thank you for what you do because sharing these stories is so important to people who are going through it. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I mean, it's, it's, it's been so important to me. It's been so much a part of my own journey. Um, to talk with people because it's the only time I talk about it with anybody. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you, you know, tell like do you have people, do you have friends that you talk to or Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have all my all my friends, but um you know, I'm pretty I'm pretty I'm pretty open about I mean, the podcast it's is everyone knows about the podcast. So it's pretty open, but um 
but it's just a different experience to talk about it with somebody who gets it. Right. It's just mm-hmm. different. It's in, and, and they, and, and I've gone through, this isn't, <laughs> I don't mean this to sound, um, uh, anyone should feel sorry for me, but this isn't the only trauma I've ever been through. Right. And yet I'm still surprised at how comforting it is to have that moment with someone mm-hmm. who, who understands it. Right. Um, right. Even though I know that that's, you know, I'm a therapist. Like I, I know about the power of, um, you know, empathy and the power of me too, and the, and the power of connection and community. But I still am the most touched by the the experience I've had talking with other people. Right. This, for this particular trauma. It's like, hey, somebody who gets me too. Mm-hmm. But trauma compounds, first of all. And mm-hmm. so the discovery for you or for any of us isn't the only trauma. There was the trauma right. of, of the secrets. In fact, I think mm-hmm. that is the trauma that it is actually more damaging than the biological, you know, the sperm or whatever. But the fact that people keep secrets and, you know, dismantling that and dismantling the shame, there is so much shame and stigma around the B word, the bastard word and yeah, illegitimate yeah. and and words that are, phrases that are in our vernacular that we don't even think about that I now cringe, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, when I hear. I know. We're never going to stop learning. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we stop learning, we're dead. So, you know, embrace it. um can you talk can you talk about your experience of um deciding to to write the memoir Mm -hmm. um and how like creativity has helped your healing can uh art you know art you did you said you mentioned art therapy you're also an actor storytelling is so powerful can you talk about that yeah so um i am i am an actress and i am a singer i have always have been um which i get from my mom i presume but um she asked me once she said do you do you ever want to paint just out of the blue? And I'm like, no, I would suck at that. I would never want to paint. So I come to find out that my biological father was a painter. You know, he oh, she was feeling it out. She was totally feeling it out. Um, yeah, they met in an art class, right? So, so oh. I didn't even know my mother painted, you know. So right. there are these probably things. We probably read the book, right? And we would know that. If we read yes. the book, will we find out about art class? Okay. Well, yes. <laughs> but um, but so I started painting after I found out just to kind of see because I, I started by doing cartoons. And my brother, my new brother, has sort of a famous um, cartoon thing with Reddit. And so I was like, oh, maybe I could draw. And I started drawing depression. I started drawing the um, the evil monster, that the dark monster that was kind of haunting me. And he's like, you're on to something here. Keep doing it. So then I moved to painting. And when I started painting, I I can't explain it. I, I knew what to do. I have never picked up a paintbrush in my life. I didn't take classes. I didn't go to YouTube. I just knew what to do, whether it's genetic memory, whether it's my father and my ghosty father painting through me or just some hidden latent talent that I didn't know I had. Um, it was just there. And I never studied and I started painting. And now, three years later, I sell paintings and that's another source of, of creativity for me. Whoa. So I'm doing this, which is just like I feel – usually I write songs, but I could not mm-hmm. write a song to save my soul hmm. through all, all this. So so this is pouring out. In the meantime, I had started journaling um, because I didn't – I wanted to remember what happened. I wanted to remember the details and I knew I was going to forget it. So um, I started writing these stories about my mother and – I would always kind of come to a conclusion um, or I'd be thinking about something and it would bring up some childhood memory. And so I would relate somehow these two. Mm. 
I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I thought maybe it would be a one woman show. Maybe it would be songs. I wasn't sure, but it was helping me just to kind of get it out and to be able to, every time I would write it, it became a story that I could tell rather than just being pain, if that makes sense. You know? Absolutely. Um, so eventually when the pandemic hit and the theaters are all closed and uh, I reached out to an editor that my friend had suggested. And um, that's a funny story too, because we found out after the fact that she was born in Wilmington, Delaware. She lived maybe two miles from me. Um, we went to all the same stores. She, her father, her father worked with my biological father. No. Crazy, right? Like of that all is, of the That is just so wild. I love that stuff. So, and I'm like, okay, we have to work together. So she, I hired her as an editor and then she said, Hey, I am, I want to publish this book for you. So, um, so she ended up, uh, publishing like, Oh shoot, that means I actually have to finish it. And this is <laughs> totally accountable for this creativity. Wait a minute. Oh no, this can't just be a rage thing. I have to make sure mm-hmm. I'm nice. <laughs> it has to be organized or something. Yeah. So, so we ended up because I had no other work, um, through theater that we ended up doing that. And the people that have reached out to me because of this, it's been incredible. Um, thanking, thanking me and telling me I'm brave, which I always kind of cringe a little bit. I'm like, I'm not brave. I'm just, you know, this is what I do. But, um, but that people have been affected and that people have been helped by it. That is my goal. But just the agency and telling your own story and sharing your origin story and that that can help other people means the world to me, you know, and that uh, and that it could be something that could be a resource for somebody else at this point, you know, mm-hmm. like like the podcasts and, and right. um, articles. I mean, they're so helpful. So, yeah, I mean, it can just become a part of this like ever expanding care package. Mm-hmm. Like, um, right. Yeah, because so- this is our purpose. We have to use our lives and, uh, and our traumas and our hurts to help people in order for us to heal, too. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's one of the older, I, well, see, I'm kind of making that up, but I'm going to say it anyway. Well, it's like an older tenet that has been, it's kind of gone through the world of trauma over time is the healing through helping, mm-hmm. you know, or the healing through telling. Um, and it just manifests in different ways through different communities, but mm-hmm. it's certainly um, has become huge in the NPE world as a, um, a form of connection and community and healing and helping and commiserating and laughing, you know, all those things. Um, One of the things, one of the best stories was, um, when I, when I had my first phone call with my brother, um, I was so careful. I didn't want him to, uh, to have a bad opinion of his father because of this. And I said, you know, people do things when they're in love and I hope you're not upset about that. And he sort of, sniffed and went he said i think being the child of an affair is the most beautiful sort of you know existence so and that was shocking Mm -hmm. right you're like well who thinks that you know bohemian (laughs) yeah but it totally it like he just opened his arms and embraced me and said you know you are welcome and you are accepted and that meant so much to me you know so wow so powerful so many people don't get to have that right so i consider myself very Mm -hmm. lucky but we are all here for whatever whatever your religious beliefs may be. You know, we're here for something. And Chloe, Chloe wants to talk about her experience of living in a yes, house we- during all of this. <laughs> she says, I don't know my siblings. They were taken away. Yeah, she's got her own traumas probably. <laughs> um, yeah, wow. So, and your brother, where does he live? He's in Texas. Okay. 
yeah. At the time, though, he had uh, he was living in Europe, so it was all very exotic and strange. Yeah, of course, a Euro- <laughs> someone in Europe would say that a child of an affair is the most beautiful, <laughs> right? <laughs> Like, oh, you're very French. Yeah, so <laughs> continental. Uh, very cool. Um, yeah, so, wow, this is really neat. And and can you just talk a little bit? Um, I know that it's it's not necessarily directly related to, to this, to, but it is because it's who you are. Can you just talk a little bit about your music and what you like to sing? And, um, sure. What, I mean, you've got this whole, like, row of instruments behind you. And, oh, can um, you say it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh I mean, I, I love folk music and, um, and I, so anyway, just, can you just talk a little bit about that? Just, just humor yeah. me. Just humor me. <laughs> Absolutely. Are you kidding? I love talking okay. about music. Um, <laughs> that's my real thing. So, uh, the NBE thing, forget that. Mm-hmm. Let me talk about musical theater. So, um, I started, I actually started in an opera partially because it drove my mother nuts because she hated opera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then I, I just, I moved over to musical theater because I really wanted to act and not just stand there and park and bark as we say. Um, and so I came to Chicago and be, was a musical theater actress. And uh, five years ago, maybe I was asked to audition for the Johnny Cash show, Ring of Fire. And I had just gotten a guitar, my first guitar. Um, uh, and I could play three chords. So I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm going to go audition for this. And, Damned if they didn't cast me in that show. And here I am, this legit soprano, and I had to learn how to sing country. And I absolutely fell in love with it. I fell in love with country and folk. And I ended up doing not only a classic country album, but I got uh, the Cohen Grapple Grant to make an auto harp album. So I actually have an auto harp album, which who else can say that, right? Um, So I have that. And then I. person I've ever met. It's so much fun, though. I mean, it's more than just that instrument that you play, you know, when you're mm-hmm. in elementary school. And um, so I did that. And then as a companion piece to the book, I'm actually recording an experimental folk album right now with a friend of mine um, with the music that is interlaced through the book, but also the music that I eventually wrote as uh, a reaction to the NPE discovery. So so it's kind of it's it will go along with the book, but it's also a companion piece, you know, and, and sort of an expansion of the experience. Love it. So, yeah, but it's great. It's I music is such music is soothing. Music is definitely my my first language. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you got that from your mother, you think you or you attribute her her. She said she was a singer. She was a singer, but she hated it. So um, <laughs> she hated. I never heard her sing, just like I never heard saw her paint. But um, but my father, my biological father, apparently was. Um, quite the singer too. So mm. it was interesting because Lee told me that one of his favorite songs was a Johnny Cash song that we did in the show. And that just kind of blew my mm-hmm. mind. You know, like the, the, I want to say like the circles keep overlapping or something. Yeah. Like the ripples yeah. continue to right. meet. Um, right. And, you know, I, you know, when you're just, this is just, just a, 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 a digression a little bit, but um when you said you, you've never heard your mother sing, I wonder if, I know this exists, but I, I think that's also something that's a little bit of a generational um, div- divide or difference that we're seeing more is that the older generation, there was much more, maybe, and maybe people do this still. I mean, like you're a mother and I'm a mother, but this separation between who they are as young women or single women or individual women, and then who they Mm -hmm. are as mothers. There's like a very thick line between those two things. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that 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 unfortunately contributes to the confusion for lots of NPEs. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And then 
for you know and then and then it creates its own kind of of um uh, you know or confusion or or situation for those those of us who are not doing that so much with our children um there's like a big there's a pretty big shift in that i think um in i don't i, I mean i'm going to say society american society i don't i don't know who i'm talking about but i think my peer group um there isn't so sure. much of that but i'm sure it exists still but i think there was less sharing back i don't know back then I think it's generational too. Yeah. I yeah. think, you know, for, for my mom, she was a singer, but she didn't want to be a singer. Mm-hmm. She was in the girl group with her two sisters because her mother wanted that because they were actually really great. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it was never what she wanted, wanted. My mother was, and I love this discovery. This also makes me so happy. My mother was a rebel, mm-hmm. you know, and she kind of, and I, I recognized myself because I'm the exact same way, you know, but I don't think I realized how rebellious she was. And after she died, I hear these stories of her and, you know, in her youth and she did whatever the hell she wanted. You know, she got married at 19 to get out of the group and away from her mother. And she got divorced when she wanted, she got divorced again. (laughs) Yeah. Like she, yeah. I, I have a lot of that with my own mother where the more I sort of learn about her and write about her, it's like, oh, she was actually a, a wild feminist. Yeah. But in the body, you know, in the, in the box of a pretty, pretty proper, well-behaved Christian girl, <laughs> but like actually right. was doing a lot of, um, of really like, um, rebellious things. Yeah. I think that's great. It's hard for us, but we, you know, we put our parents in a box sometimes too. We think of them just as mothers and Absolutely. fathers and we don't expect that they have sex and, you know, mm-hmm. and there's one thing I'm really curious actually about, uh, is with NPE is, is there a stigma? Do we have a stigma about sex? I don't know if you want to talk about that at all, but, but like, because of the circumstances of our birth, are we subconsciously taught that sex is bad or because there's shame around a conception necessarily, you know? Yeah, I do know. Like, yeah, no, I think sex is like totally, I mean, the whole NPE, the NPE community <laughs> It's so uh, complex because it's all about sex. Uh huh. All it's all about sex. We all talk about, and it's all about our mothers having sex. And, yes, right. And it's like it's all about sex, and we never get, we never really, you know, and, and which is like you know a societal thing and, and a cultural thing, and um, but like that, sex is this kind of difficult topic to talk about in certain circles, or it's not okay to talk about in some circles, and it's um, and then. And then your conception came from myriad, you know, ways, but sex. Right. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it, I think it totally is, a, is, an, is not only like one of the layers, but one of the more important layers of the complexity of, of our experience. Right. And, you know, God forbid that a woman actually wants sex. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Imagine the mothers as like, I actually, um, I, I actually really, one of the, one of the first, like in my early, early NPE days, it actually really moved me to think of my mother as having a lover like that, right? you know, it just like that added a nuance to her as a person that I had never <laughs> conceived of or thought right. of, but, but it felt, I felt connected to it. Mm-hmm. More, um, more, more connected to her more as a human and a and a woman than than I had before, and um, I I don't think I can tell her that, but um, but I'll tell the world in a podcast. Um, <laughs> listen, is she alive? Is she, is she? Yeah, yeah. My parents are alive. Um, they sometimes listen to the podcast, but sometimes don't. Um, 
it's uh comes and goes for them and they're are they're working through it um their own way in their own time and and i have to give them credit um they are trying to support me really hard they're trying really hard they're doing their very best they really want to support me and and the project and you know i and everything i'm doing uh and they always have been so i've done a lot of projects in my life that they did not love <laughs> and um this is probably yeah this is probably the most personal i'll be honest this is the most personal for them but um they have stayed consistent so i have to, That's great. I have to really give them credit for that so here's your chance say i'm proud of you mom i'm proud of you mom <laughs> Maybe this will be the one she listens to. Right. Oh. But, but oh, well, yeah. Is... She also loves folk music. I get my love of folk music from her. Um, oh. Ooh, do you play anything? No, but that's my on my. Um, I used to I used to have a, a project where I would ask people wh what's their one other thing they would be if they weren't who they are now. And my uh -huh. always was a singer songwriter. I wanted to be, I wanted to be like Jewel. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I grew up in the era of. Um, of all those like little fair women coming up. Um, uh -huh. But uh, yes, no, but I'd love to sing. My daughter loves to sing. I would love to be able to play the guitar. I understand the concept. Um, it's not too late. I didn't start till 44 or 45. I, so well, it's on my list. Okay. When I turned 40, I like made this, this list of like, if, you know, if this is mid the midpoint, here's all the things I would like to do. And, um, especially as my kids are just, my youngest is a year and a half. And so I'm just coming out of, of that bubble into like mm -hmm. feeling myself, feeling like myself again and starting to, to see a light kind of, <laughs> I don't want that to sound like I was in darkness, yeah. but no, I know what you mean. Mothers exactly. know what mm -hmm. I mean. And I'm, and so I'm, it's, yeah. So I'm, I'm, it's on my list of things to, that I really want to get to. Do it. I highly encourage it. I will. Um, we'll get you an auto harp. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> If that's what I should start with, that's what I should start with. Um, I have like five. It's it's insane the amount of instruments I have now. So, so cool. five auto harps. Who has that many auto harps? Only only the professionals. <laughs> um, thank you so much. I have one more question. Request. No pressure. Okay. Can you sing something for us right now? I could. Can you... Can you give me a second to yeah. get my guitar? Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought the only other option was that I could just, I could, I could down, you know, we'll just play it down, download a recording. But, but wait a second, I, I can't hear you anymore. What'd you say? Oh, I, oh yeah, you're going to hear me. <laughs> I can hear you now, though. Oh, I was just saying, if you had said no, I would have just asked if we could play something off one of your recorded pieces, but you can play. Something. Are you kidding? No, this is great. If you're editing, is it okay if I tune? Yeah, 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 do it. Do you say what's the one thing that uh, that will kill a concert? Is it tuning your guitar? Oh, yeah. Don't do it. You, know, you got to do it. You got to learn to talk and do it at the same time. Mm -hmm. so, um, all right, I'm going to turn this down just so we don't get any feedback. Hang on. Um, I'm not going to play. Can I play Johnny Cash? Yeah. Do you know that we love Johnny Cash at my house, and our dog no. named Johnny Cash? Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding. We have a puppy upstairs named Johnny Cash. Okay, that's crazy. Love See, Johnny Cash is crazy. House. Holy, God. okay. Yeah. Can you hear that? Okay, is that going? Love is a burning thing, and it makes a fiery ring. Bound by heart's desire, 
I fell into a ring of fire I fell into, into a burning ring of fire I went down, down, down And the flames went higher And it burns, burns, burns The ring of fire The ring of fire The ring of fire warm up a bit. Yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> Yay. Thank you so much. I love it. Oh, thanks awesome. for asking. <laughs> so, oh, so wonderful. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. And the perfect song. The perfect song. Right. Oh, yes, of course. So, sorry, I get very excited about Johnny Cash. Yeah. So, Johnny Cash and June Carter mm -hmm. were having an affair mm -hmm. um, when that song was written. And June Carter actually wrote that song um, about him. But he gets all the kind of glory right, and credit right. for it. And her, her sister, uh, Anita, recorded it first. And Johnny Cash had this dream when he was in a cave and on drugs and stuff that he's like, I hear mariachi uh, trumpets. And that's why his iconic version of it oh. came about. June wrote that for him because they were both married at the time right. that, when they fell in love. So it's got goosebumps again. <laughs> oh, that's so wonderful. That's good to know. Cool. Yeah, no, Johnny, we love Johnny Cash here. My son actually wanted to be Johnny Cash for Halloween. And it was a whole, really cool. it was, yeah, it was a whole, we ended up not being Johnny Cash because when you're five, you go through a lot of ideas about Halloween. Uh -huh. But he went through this week of really talking with us about if he was going to be Johnny Cash or the actor Johnny Cash. Because when we looked up pictures, we had to explain who Joaquin Phoenix was because right. of the movie. And, um, and it was this whole thing about the hair being slick oil, you know, oiled back. And it was just so funny. And we, <laughs> and then he didn't, he decided to be something else, but um, yeah, we are but huge Johnny. That's Cash. a cool kid. Mm -hmm. Yep. He's still cool. Um, all right. Let's go on with our day. Thank you so much for spending some time with me. Is there anything else that I, I didn't ask you that you wished I'd asked you or that you want to say to the NPE community? Can I mention my website? Oh, please is that, do. Please is do. That okay. okay. <laughs> do all that, please. So my website is coreygoodrich.com, which is C-O-R-Y goodrich.com. But then there's also folksongbook.com specifically about the book. And that's available on Amazon. And I'm super proud of it. And I think it will be super helpful if, if you're going through this um, because you can see that somebody else is as crazy as you are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> The commiseration of crazy. Uh, it's important, though. I think so it is. important. It absolutely is. Oh, thank you so much. This is so great. I'll make sure and have all the um, information about you up on the on my on my medias, the social medias, so that people cool. can access and, things. Um, and and I will share too and promote the heck out of you as well. So right. and I think um, yeah, and I think and I'll definitely get your book, and I'm going to get all this music, and um, so and I think we'll be in touch. I have a suspicion that you and I are going to stay stay in touch. So. I think so too, and I'm really excited for you to go go get a guitar because okay. you have you have a latent singer songwriter yeah. in you. I can absolutely tell. Yep. Oh gosh, thanks. Um, it's like my husband's worst nightmare. <laughs> oh, are you kidding? Mine too. <laughs> I always ask. I don't know why I always ask. I mean, this sounds weird if I say I always ask him, but I I have suggested before, like, what would you have done if when we met, if you had asked what I do, and I had said like I'm a singer songwriter. <laughs> Right. Like, oh, I know, you know, but um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. My latent Sarah McLaughlin, Jewel, Alana Smolset, all those ladies. 
that Jewel song, the do 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 do. What is that? Um, da 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 da. Oh, see, I don't. Dreams last for so oh, long. Foolish games. Foolish games. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. That was like the first guitar song I learned. <laughs> mm-hmm. I sang that so often in voice lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to sing on. it right now. Um, all right. Come on, I did it. That I know. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm, we're, I'm working on one thing at a time. I barely understand okay. or I'm confident about podcasting. So I will. That's okay. Yeah. We'll let you. While let I'm you ahead today. Uh, all right. Thank you so much, Corey. I'm going to go ahead and um, turn all of our recording off so that we can't stop recording. Stop. And then Zen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well. After only one episode into season three, I'm here to announce that the show is shutting down so that I can pursue my singer-songwriter dreams. Just kidding. Although, stay tuned, because you never know what I might do if I ever find free time again. Stand by. Uh, Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I'll be back in a week with a new episode. Contact me if you have questions, comments, or stories. Keep in touch on our social media outlets like Instagram and Facebook. And thank you, thank you, thank you all for your support thus far. Welcome to Season 3. Until next time, I am Eve Sturgis, and this is Everything's Relative. Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is produced by Kaylin Egan and Eve Sturgis. Eve is a licensed therapist in the state of California, but conversations on this podcast are not therapy sessions. This podcast is edited by Stephanie DeLonzik, the logo design is by Ivy McNally, and the music is used with permission by Goodbye the Band. My name is Muriel, and I love true crime. I'm Nick, and I am not a fan. Every week on our new podcast, Muriel's Murders, I handpick a real-life crime story that I think will blow Nick's mind. Muriel is really enthusiastic about researching and telling me these stories, and boy, they are a lot. Some of them are famous. Some of them are weirdly under the radar, but all of them contain crime, violence, and murder from across history and around the globe. (laughs) So join us every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts and check out the original Muriel's Murders animations on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok at Muriel's Murders. How are you feeling, Nikki? Very nervous. Are you ready to hear a story? No. Too bad. Here come some murdery clips from season one of Muriel's Murders. This week involves a trio of scheming brothers, a handyman and his gold, an unsolved mystery, and Abraham Lincoln himself. And they also say that Henry actually never recanted his story, ever. Whoa. He never recanted it. You said I shouldn't be scared. This Fisher, that could be a ghost. And no one and no one knows what happened to Fisher. Like that never came into the the light. Like Henry yeah. never recanted and Fisher like literally never said anything about it. So very easily they could have taken him to the thicket. I love that it happened in the thicket, by the way. Yeah. I'm not even sure what it is, but I just see like blackberry brambles and it's like sticky and hurdy. And then they they try to kill him. They think they kill him. They move him to the pond, and then he just wakes up like they were really bad at killing and robbing him. There was a state trooper 
who yeah. pulled somebody over who had some weed. Yeah. And the people were like, don't give us a ticket. We'll show you where the weed is at. And he said, okay. And they drove to Texas and he got about 300 pounds of weed in Texas yeah. and drove it back to sell it in Arkansas and totally got caught. <laughs> but he's like a state trooper from that area, you sure, know? Sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, I get so, it. So like, you gotta get this idea that like, you, you know, like- I'm envisioning rural, uh, sparsely populated. And it's a little, still has that bootlegger, like anything goes vibe, you know, like that's sure. the, that's the feeling that I got. You know, the state troopers like, you got that weed? He's like, no, <laughs> listen, man, I'll just cut you a deal. He's like, you got it. We have to go all the way to Texas. He's like, ah, I was going there anyways. <laughs> exactly. gets there and he buys a gun and bullets right <laughs> so very concerned father yeah, doesn't right. know where his little curl is yeah. she's walking through yeah. the woods so he's just gonna go kill this guy yeah, right? Right. yeah totally. so he goes and he buys a gun and some bullets and he like goes down to waldport which is the closest town to where the ferry is to get across the bay and he gets to where the ferry is and he looks up and he misses the ferry by like just a couple minutes. Right. But he looks up and he sees this bearded, tiny guy surrounded by these bathroom women. And so he just picks up his pistol and he shoots it. And the gun misfires five times. <laughs> and so now... Crefield has witnesses to that he can't be killed. Oh, yes. He just, he just destroyed San Francisco yes. and now he can't be killed. Right. And so they just like, he didn't duck or run away and then the ferry just moves across <laughs> the water. Just keeping <laughs> eye contact the entire way. Campfire.